0: All right, if you'll open your Bibles, turn them on to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Last week, you'll remember that we looked at the parable of the sower. And in the parable, you have the farmer who goes out and he sows seed. And some of that seed lands on uh, thorny areas and the weeds infested and it doesn't take root. Some of it lands on shallow soil and so it can't Uh, take root, and others land upon the hard paths, and so it doesn't go anywhere. But then some of that that seed lands in fertile soil, and it's able to take root and produce a harvest. Well, Jesus taught us that the seed was the message of God and how that, uh, in some cases, the message of God lands in fertile soil, and whenever it does, spiritual growth begins to occur. Now, this is important. It's important for you to get the major point of the parable of the sowers. At the end of the parable, Jesus says that the seed that fell on good ground produced a crop that increased 30, 60, and 100 times that which was sown. The parable of the sower is about growing spiritually. It's about spiritual Growth. Now, one of the things that I believe is that you come to church, you're here because you want to grow spiritually. Uh, You go through the course of the week and you have all sorts of things to do. And it's really easy to lose sight of our spiritual mindedness and not be a spiritual person. But you come to church because you want to connect with your spiritual side you want to grow spiritually now realize this that according to the parable spiritual growth will always lead to kingdom growth now what this means is that whenever god redeems you when god begins to do a work within you within your heart it's not just to create a better you you don't grow spiritually just so you can say hey look at me, I've now become a mature person, spiritually speaking. But God grows you spiritually so that you can be a part of his work so that what he has done within you overflows and makes a difference for his kingdom. I think, for example, Samson. Samson and Joy Maul are our missionaries to India. Well, I'm glad to say they returned home today after several months serving in India uh, you may remember that a few months back we took up an offering and we raised $16,000 so that they could go to India and plant a new house of worship there in India. And so we're we're glad to say the building is built and we anticipate that for decades people will be gathering every Sunday to worship the Lord all the way across the world because of the faithfulness of you and the faithfulness of Sam, uh, Samson and Joy Mall. Now, Samson's been to college. He has a degree in theology from Criswell College. He knows the Scriptures. Samson and Joy are spiritually-minded people, but they are an example for us that what you know about the Scriptures, who you are as an individual, that the Word of God should spill outward so that it's not just you being a better you but God is using your life to make a difference in the world around us as well. Spiritual growth always leads to kingdom growth. And so, under the power of the Holy Spirit, the ministry that God begins in you can yield a crop 30, 60, 100 times that which is sown. Now, we're in this new sermon series, we'll be in it throughout the summer, called His Stories. And in this sermon series, we're looking at the parables of Jesus. Some of these parables that we look at will be very familiar to you, some of the more famous stories of the Scripture. And Jesus taught in parables a lot. Well, in verses 10 and 11 of Mark chapter 4, the disciples come to Jesus, and they ask him, why is it that you're teaching in these parables? Essentially, they're saying to him, why don't you just say it? And Jesus tells them the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables. So Jesus is telling them, look, God has awakened you to his truth. The Holy Spirit of God is alive within you. And whenever I speak to you in these parables, you can understand the secrets of the kingdom of God, and you can think spiritually, and you're able to understand the truths behind them. But there are others who have not yet awakened to these realities, and so because of that, they do not have a spiritual appetite or understanding for what I am saying. It is possible for you to have a heart that is basically open to the things of God. Your heart has soil, and you are ready to receive the Word. But for some reason, you are still not growing spiritually. You desire it, you're open to it, but it just doesn't happen. And the reason for this is that it takes more than a sincere heart for you to grow spiritually. It takes more than you showing up to church to grow spiritually. A spiritual person, take note of this, a spiritual person has the light of the Holy Spirit shining within them we talk about God God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit we talk about spiritual growth frequently we want to manufacture spiritual growth within ourselves but when you think of it as spiritual growth it's the Holy Spirit and the light that he shines within you that's ultimately going to drive your spiritual growth Jesus talks about this in verse 21. He also said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? Now, lamps were vital in Jesus' day. So imagine you have a clay base. They would fill that with oil. They would put a wick in it. They would light it. And then it would give light at night. They didn't have electricity. So the lamps were how they saw at night. They would use a cup type thing to extinguish the flame whenever they were through. Well, Jesus says it would be foolish to take this lamp that's on fire and hide it under your bed. It might burn up your bed. That'd ruin your whole night, wouldn't it? That's a horrible use of essential oils right there to put that under your bed. He also says it's, it's, it's foolish to put it under a basket because the function of the lamp is to put off light so that others may see and so that you may see. He says in verse 22, For nothing is concealed except to be revealed, for nothing hidden except to come to light. Now, in some ways, he's talking about the parables. He's also talking about himself. Jesus says, The light of the world, me, I am concealed until my hour, but the hour is coming When I will be revealed throughout the Gospels, Jesus often said, my hour has not yet come. But there is coming an hour where the cross and the resurrection will be seen and the message of the Gospel will just go outward to all peoples. In verse 23, he says, if anyone has ears to hear, he should listen. Who has ears? Does everybody in the room have ears? I think so today. If you have ears, Jesus says, You should be listening to this. This is something that is for everyone. And then he said, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured and added to you. For to the one who has, it will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. When you add the light of the Holy Spirit to the parables, a whole world begins to open up for you. When you add the Holy Spirit to your journey of spiritual growth, everything begins to change. You begin to learn spiritual truth and want more. When the Holy Spirit begins to do a work within you, you develop a spiritual appetite. If you don't have a spiritual appetite, you could come to church week after week. It doesn't matter what I teach. It doesn't matter what we sing. The Lord's not going to grow you. You're not going to mature. You have to have a spiritual appetite that comes from God. And whenever you have that awakened within you, then whenever we open the Scriptures, you have an appetite to learn from the Scriptures. When we sing the songs, you desire to sing praises to your Lord. The offering is not a drudgery, but you are able to cheerfully give to the Lord because The Spirit has awakened within you an appetite for spiritual things. I enjoy coffee in the morning. How many of you are coffee drinkers? Any coffee drinkers in the house? I couldn't stand the stuff until I was about 30. And then the old man light of awakening came on, and suddenly around the age of 30, I started enjoying coffee. It was really just a wild thing. It's like one day I didn't like it, the next thing, next day I did. Now you got to be careful how much you drink. Uh, I try to drink one cup of coffee uh, a day, uh, but when the alarm goes off, I have a craving. When the alarm goes off, I I want a cup of coffee. That is an appetite that is within me. Something changed. I used to not want it. Now I want it. Now I crave it. And the same thing occurs spiritually. When the Holy Spirit's light begins to shine within you, you begin to crave spiritual growth. Spiritual growth takes more than the Bible and an open heart. Even though I am so thankful for the Bible, I appreciate sincerity. But spiritual growth requires the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've learned this over the years when it comes to the Holy Spirit. When you talk about the Holy Spirit in a Baptist church, sometimes Baptists begin to get a little bit nervous, maybe even afraid. And I ask myself, why is it? I mean, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit displayed throughout the Scriptures. Why is it that sometimes we start getting a little bit Nervous when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Well, I think one of the reasons is because the Holy Spirit part of our faith is one of those things that you just can't think your way through. It's experiential. Uh, Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night in John chapter 3 was a man who liked to have control and Jesus said you know you have to be born again and and then he probed him a little bit further and said the spirit is like the wind and where it comes from nobody knows and where it's going nobody knows and you can't just control the Holy Spirit you experience the power of the Holy Spirit I think sometimes we as Baptists are a little bit scared to talk about the Holy Spirit because we think We're going to turn into a bunch of holy rollers. I'm going to start bringing snakes out on stage and handling the, and and we're going to do a Congo line and dance around the room. That's just not going to happen, okay? We're not going to be doing Congo lines here at Murphy Road. I'm sure there's some churches where you can do Congo lines, but that's not what's going to happen. Uh, Within the charismatic stream of Christianity, they often talk about the Holy Spirit in terms of the miraculous power and the capabilities of the Spirit. And we do not deny that the Holy Spirit is capable of miraculous power and the Scriptures testify that over and over again the Spirit of God has done miraculous things. Yet at the same time, the greatest miracle of the Holy Spirit is what He does within our hearts Galatians talks about the fruit of the Spirit, capital S, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So whenever you are living your life spiritually and you are in tune with God's Spirit, God begins to birth within you these fruits. Now, for a lot of us, we, we read this list, love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. I don't have any of these. That's kind of the point. It's not something that you will within yourself, it's something that the Spirit of God births within you. And so you can go down to Mardell and buy a real big study Bible. You can come to church every week. You can sing like a goalpost. You can have a God and country decal on your truck and still not be good at any of these things that the Bible says are the fruit of the Spirit. Because to be a spiritually mature person, you must have the Spirit of God maturing you from within. When the Spirit of God matures you, you begin to develop this appetite and hunger for the things of God. And that's whenever the Bible studies and the sermons and the worship, they come alive for you. Well, Jesus continues. He begins to teach us this is what you need to do to really be in tune with the Spirit of God. Now, we as Americans, we love it whenever someone tells us this is what you need to do because we like things to be orderly. And if you give us an idea, okay, I'll, I'll do it. So, Jesus, tell me what I need to do. Well, in verse 26, he gives us another parable. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the ripe grain on the head. But as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. In verse 30, he tells another parable. He says, how can we illustrate the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that, when sown in the soil, is smaller than all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the vegetables, and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. Jesus essentially goes towards faith. He says if you want to grow spiritually, you need to be a man or a woman of faith. Now I want to conclude today by talking about five statements about faith. And the first is this, what God wants from you, is for you to place the totality of your faith in Him. The initial step of Christianity is a step of faith. This week we will have ABC night with the, with the kids. And we'll talk about this initial step of Christianity, where you acknowledge that you are a sinner, that you are not God. Now that seems pretty fundamental to us, but if you look at a lot of major world religions, They actually propagate the idea that you are God, or you're either part of the God force or you can become a God. Within Christianity, we state, no, I am not God and I never will be God. I have done things that are wrong for which I need forgiveness. And at the beginning point of faith is that admission that I am not a God unto myself, but that I need, I am dependent upon God. So we admit our sin, and we ask forgiveness for that sin. We believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Again, one of the fundamental differences between Christianity and most major world religions, in most major world religions, there's a dominant religious teacher, and you are called to follow after their teachings. Jesus calls us to follow after Him. Jesus called us to believe in Him. You see, at the root of Christianity is grace. We trust in Christ. We believe in Him. And then He does a work within us that leads us to obedience, leads us to righteousness. It's not about your good karma. It's not about how great you can be. It's about how great God is and you trusting in His grace, believing in Christ as Savior. And then C, committing your life to following Him. Committing your life to being a follower of Christ where Ever You go uh, here at Murphy Road. We practice believers baptism whenever we baptize someone we take them beneath the water and then we bring them back up. We baptize someone after they've taken that initial step of faith and become a believer in Christ because in many ways that baptism is how you go public with what has happened in your heart in your heart you have believed in Christ through baptism. You publicly proclaim, I am a follower of Christ. It's symbolic in nature of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we don't just leave you under the water until you drown, because Christ rose again, okay? It's also symbolic of, here's your life before Christ, you have laid that life down, and now you're living your life as a follower of God. God wants you to take that step of faith and place your life, to place your spirit totally within him. Now, secondly, faith involves you planting yourself in God's work. Henry Blackaby wrote a great Bible study a few years back called Experiencing God. Now, the big premise of that book is that you find where God is working and you join him. What was revolutionary about the book is So often what we think is I'm going to do something for God and then I'm going to invite him to join me in my work. Blackaby says, no, you find where God is at work already and then you join him in his work. You say, but Lash, I I don't have much to invest. We're going to cover that at the parable of the talents, okay? You say, I don't have much to invest. You take what you have and you invest it in God. If you go back and look at verses 30 through 32, Jesus says, the results are beyond your control. You don't know what God is going to do when you invest your faith and yourself in him. The results are not something that you manufacture. It's something that the spirit drives. You believe and he'll take care of you. Now, some of you in this room tonight or today, you have signed up to be a leader in DBS. And as you sit here in this room looking at all this decor and thinking about the week ahead, you're thinking to yourself, what have I gotten myself into? Five nights of kids, five days of working all day and then coming up here all night. I'm supposed to do crafts with kids. I'm not even crafty. And I'm supposed to be doing this every night of the week. What have I gotten myself into? Well, what you've gotten yourself into is a work of God. God's going to do a work this week in the lives of these boys and girls and in the lives of the workers. I don't know what he's going to do. I can't predict it, but I want to be a part of it. And so you plant yourself, you invest yourself, you put yourself in places where God is at work and then be amazed at what he does thirdly faith always involves risk you don't find safe christianity in the bible both of these parables things start small and then they grow there's expansion you don't find jesus passing out little floaties for your arms so that you can live in the kiddie pool of faith he constantly calls you to go into the deep end And you see example after example in Scripture of faith involving risk. Noah was called to build the ark. Abram and Ruth were called to leave their home and start life anew. Joseph has to go through slavery, be falsely accused of rape, but he trusted in God, and he took the risk of faith, and God exalts him. Moses and Esther, they go before very powerful people to be liberators for their people. The prophets had to proclaim a message that was unpopular, and they were persecuted for their message. The pages of Scripture are scattered with men and women who were willing to take the risk of faith. Fourth, faith includes moments of doubt. Now, let me, let me talk about this here for a little bit. Uh, we frequently misunderstand doubt. And we think that if I doubt or if I have doubts, I'm exercising faith right now, aren't I? If I have doubts, that I am on the opposite side of God. So let's envision over here is God, and that is where my faith is supposed to be planted. What is on the opposite side? It's not your doubt. It's unbelief. The opposite of being a person whose faith is in God is being a person whose faith is totally in yourself. You're living life as a secularist. You're living life as an atheist, as if I am the God of my universe. Everybody has a God. Sometimes it's just yourself. So the opposite of faith in God is, is your living life with unbelief. Faith is totally within yourself. Sometimes in this journey of faith, we find ourselves on this drawbridge of doubt. Adversity comes in. And we start thinking to ourselves, uh, I don't know, I have questions. Sometimes God brings turns into the story of our life that we didn't expect. He rewrites the script. And so we find ourselves in these situations where we don't understand it all. But it's in those moments of doubt where you either Retreat to unbelief and you run from God or you run towards faith and you put your trust in God. So if you're in a a season of doubt right now, you're either going to run away from God towards unbelief, towards you being God yourself, or you're going to run towards God. A professor of mine in seminary, Roy Fish, used to always say, when trouble comes your way, Gaze at your God and glance at your problem. Faith pushes through doubt. Faith continues through the struggle. It pushes through in belief in God and trust God, even whenever you don't have all the answers. When your wife comes to you and says, we're having baby number four, and you're like, that wasn't my plan. What are we going to do? Are you going to run towards unbelief and just wring your hands in despair? Are you going to push through all the uncertainty and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I don't understand everything about this, but I'm going to trust you. Fifth, faith expands. When the light of the Holy Spirit comes on within you and your heart opens up to the truth of God, God expands your faith to produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times that which was sown. I love this time of year when graduations take place. I like to go to the high school graduations in particular. I really enjoy listening to 600 names being called off, don't you? No. What I like about high school graduations are the valedictorian speeches. I love listening to the 18-year-olds talk about life because there's innocence there. There's zeal. There's vision, idealism. And I like to hear that because soon life is going to bring its struggles. Soon there's going to be the struggle of the job and the finances, likely marriage, and trying to build a strong marriage. It's likely in most of their lives, God will bless them with children, and they'll have the uh, challenges of raising children and guiding young minds in the path of righteousness. They're going to go through the challenges of relationships where friends betray them and where difficulties come across their path. And it's really, really easy in all the struggle and busyness of life to become dry spiritually. There's so much to do that our spirit is just empty. And there's that temptation to become cynical and bitter. You say, ah, the cynicism is just my sense of humor. No, somewhere along the line. Somewhere along the line, the idealism was stolen. And you get to that point where you're like, this is just life, and you surrender to it and you accept it. I love the parables because they call us to be young again. Jesus calls us to place our faith in Him, to embrace the ideals of faith, to embrace the areas of life that we don't understand but we trust in God to fill in the gaps to believe that God really can do great things, to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, to push through those doubts and trust. And the Scriptures say, believe in Christ. Put your faith in Him. Embrace that idealism that on the other side of all that you see, there will be a great work of God. And even right now, there might be a lot of clouds and a lot of storms. The sun will shine again. Jesus says, plant your faith, even that of a mustard seed, in me, and I will grow that seed into a great tree. You can sit at the table and eat from the harvest of your faith when it's planted in Christ. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment. Paul and the musicians will lead us in a hymn. If today is your day of salvation, I encourage you right now in this moment to call out to God. Admit your sin. Ask for forgiveness from above. Place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Commit your life to following him. I would love to know that you're taking that step of faith today. You can come and see me during this next song. You can come and see me after the service. I want to be a pastor to you, help you and encourage you. I long for you to have spiritual growth in your life. I long for you to have a spiritual appetite. For the Holy Spirit of God to be alive within you. I invite you to open up your heart to allow your heart to be fertile soil where God may speak. But I invite you to place your trust totally in Christ, to push away from the cynicism, to push away from this idea that somehow I am God, that I am totally self-sufficient, and instead realize that God calls you to faith, to trust in Him. Perhaps God is rewriting your script. He's changing things, bringing things into your life that you did not anticipate. Are you going to retreat towards unbelief? Or are you going to push forward in faith? Looking at him. He can use your life. To be a part of his work. Trust him. Trust him. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time. We pray that what we have seen today in your word will take root in our hearts, and we pray for the power of the Spirit of God to be upon our lives. May you grow us as spiritual people. In Jesus' name, amen.